0: following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Spirit and how uh, your Spirit gives us words to encourage and bless. Uh, And Lord, I pray that uh, these three people, Father Caitlin, Charmaine and John, will be encouraged and blessed today. But Lord, as we now come around your written word, your living word, I pray that you will speak to all of our hearts. I pray that Lord, you would help us to hear what your Spirit is saying, that you will still our minds and hearts from every distraction. And Lord, that our uh, thoughts and our hearts will be centered on you and your presence. Lord, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear your word and, and hearts that are eager and willing to surrender and submit to your will and to do your word. Help me as I communicate it, Lord, and that it would be an encouragement and a blessing to us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, this morning, I'm really wanting to wrap up our series on New Year's attitudes that we've been journeying on. But I also want to do kind of a vision recap because there's many new people in our community that might really not understand or know what we're about as a church and many people here who've been here a long time and it's always a good reminder of who we are and who we believe God is calling us to be and the things He's calling us to do as a church. And so, if you've been around Peter, Sch- uh, Peter- <laughs> see old mindsets. If you've been around Parramatta, oh my! For any length of time, you probably need to be reminded where you are. That's right. You would have heard us talk about some of these things over and over again, and some of these words and phrases might be familiar to you, and I, I, I pray that as you hear it over and over again, that it kind of makes sense, and that what we mean by these things kind of starts to line up for you. Um, our heart as a church is to really be about discipling people, growing them to be authentic followers of Jesus, to not just be Sunday Christians, to not just turn up every week and go through the motions of what it means to... Be a christian in the west to go to church do your thing but where it doesn't change your heart and so transformation is is a big word for us. We really want people's hearts to be transformed, and through a transformation, their lives and their whole world to be transformed. So our vision really is to see our city and the nations transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We we totally believe that the best way to change the world is through changed lives. That as people get a revelation of who Jesus is and what He's done for them, and as you and I commit ourselves to follow Christ wholeheartedly to give ourselves completely to him, to surrender our whole lives to him, that will be an unstoppable force. Absolutely. It will change your workplace, your family, your neighborhood. It'll change the whole world because you you have surrendered your whole life, your whole priorities, all your values, everything to Jesus. You've laid down your life to follow him. That's what we believe is the answer for the world today. Transformation. And so I guess our, our passion I you want to put the next one up, is to see God build his universal church through this local church. You know, it's really kind of trendy to talk about church growth, and usually that means growing a local church. Well, we, we, I guess in some, one sense, we want to think bigger than that. We want to be about growing the kingdom of God through the local church, through this church. And so we really want to be about partnering with other churches, you know, and supporting other ministries, investing into kingdom ventures as a church because we want to see our city And the nations transform. And if there are other godly, amazing people doing great work, well, we want to get behind that. We want to pray for them. We want to give. We want to partner. We want to support. Because that's our vision. And that's our passion. So, really, a lot of our thinking around who we want to be as a church is anchored in the the three great loves of the Bible. Three great loves. One is love God. Love God with your whole heart. We've been engaging with that even the last couple of weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but to love God. The second one is to love one another, to love each other, to to be about genuine, authentic relationships in this community. And the third one is to love the lost, to love people who don't yet know Jesus. They're the three great loves. And so around that, you would have heard these buzzwords that we say a lot, worship, we're really about worship, creating worship opportunities where people encounter God and worship Him passionately, whether that's a Sunday service, whether that's Connect Group, whether it's prayer and worship nights, whether it's what we're doing this year with our soak gatherings. It's just to be in God's presence and to enjoy Him for who He is. It's about loving Him and adoring Him in worship. The second buzzword is community. We, we, we really want to invest into authentic, genuine, loving committed, caring relationships. Um, our elders got together yesterday to pray. And again, we're just reminded that, uh, through the history of this church how powerful this value has been, uh, this sense of people coming in and finding deep, authentic, rich community here. And we believe that because Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you and that the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. We take that seriously. And so we want to deal with the baggage in our hearts and lives that builds walls instead of bridges. We want to be about connecting with people genuinely and authentically and extending ourselves, making ourselves vulnerable and open because let's be honest, being this kind of community is painful because you love people and then they leave for a whole bunch of different reasons. Like Ben and Taryn who were here and left because they feel God calling them. It hurts! Because you're invested and you're connected. That's just the reality of it. But to not love and to hold our hearts closed is not what Jesus wants us to do. Community. And the third buzzword is mission. Mission. We want to be about thinking about individually and as a church and as a community. How can we be about outward focus? Outward focus. Not about just looking after ourselves and what God wants us to do here. That's important too. But so that we're a channel of God's blessing to others. That's really, really important. And so really, I mean, I guess our, our focus is um, th- th- putting it all in a nutshell, to follow Christ, to love his church, and to serve our city. You know, That's how it kind of flows out, out of that. And I guess fleshing that out a little bit, our purpose is to be a transformed community of Jesus followers who are in authentic relationships with each other and are being equipped and mobilized to impact others for God's glory, whether that's locally in Parramatta or globally wherever that might be. So that's really, in a nutshell, what we're about. Our theme for this year has been stand firm. And what an appropriate word that that has been for us in spite of everything that we've gone through as a church and in our community and in the world as a whole. Where We really feel that God's called us to stand firm in our faith, to be steadfast, to be digging deeper into our relationship with Him at this time and to really be holding fast to God's promises And that's why our next series is going to be looking at some of the promises that Jesus made. We want to be encouraged in our heart that we can trust God and take Him at His word when He says what He says. And we want to be steadfast and be able to have that solid footing under us in a world that's imploding or unraveling right in front of us to know that we can stand firm on the unchanging eternal promises of God. We've also been talking a lot about knowing the presence of God, knowing him intimately and personally, and walking closely with him, abiding in him. As Jesus said in John 15, that when we abide in the vine, nothing is impossible for us, and we will bear fruit. And so it's that knowing of God's presence and knowing him more intimately and personally. And and lastly, to know the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, We've been really sensing as an eldership, a really stirring in our heart to to really dig deeper into the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're a Pentecostal church and we really want to see the operation of the Holy Spirit's gifts more and more in our services, uh, see it in our connect groups and to create time and space for God to move supernaturally, to to pray for people at the end of services for for healing and for spiritual breakthrough and for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and and so I want to encourage you as a church you know because we've kind of lost that culture a little bit of responding at the end of a service and i want to i want to revisit that again you know for those who've who've been christians for a while and and seen incredible moves of god you know the power of responding at the end of a service and being prayed for there's something i look it's nothing about the there's nothing holy about this space But having done that walk from my seat to the front, I know something happens in your heart that God honors. And so I want to encourage you, if you feel God speaking to you and God doing something in your heart, or if you have a need or you need prayer, at the end of the service when we have prayer time, come, because we really want to believe for God to begin to move. And that's only going to happen as we bring our faith, even if it is only just a mustard seed. And we come expectant for God to move. And so that's kind of been the theme for the year and our focus and the journey that we've been on, really pressing into God for those things. And so that's why we started this year with a series about our heart attitudes. We really wanted to kind of establish a platform for the year rather than having goals and, you know, objectives and all that, to to be something, to allow God to do something in our hearts. And so that's been the series we've been working through. And this last kind of wrap-up message, I want to talk about guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. And so that's kind of my theme for this morning and we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 6 because Moses in this passage that we looked at last week where he talked about them loving God, being devoted to Him, being loyal to Him, obeying Him, all of that. And he talked about we we do that because of who God is, we do that because of what God has done and he's calling on Israel at this critical point in their spiritual journey as they go into the promised land to stop, to take stock, to remember and to set themselves up well for the future that God had for them. And into this space, into this context, Moses gives them three warnings. Now, this is a typical sermon. I want to give you a heads up. There's three points, and there's alliteration, all right? So, it's just, I'm pulling out all the stops on this one. And it's just not one uh, alliteration, two. This Sunday is brought to you by the letters F and C, like Sesame Street. So, get your notepads out, write these down. Because I think these are good things for us to keep in mind to guard our hearts. So let me read to you what Moses says. We're reading Deuteronomy 6 verses 10 to 19. When the Lord your God brings you, and another thing for me to say, I haven't put these up on the screen because I want you to bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles or open it up on your devices, read it close, mark it, underline it, highlight it. That's going to help you remember it. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful, there's the warning, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. In other words, be completely loyal to him. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. First warning, do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord. And this danger, this threat, becomes real in a time of comfort. Time of comfort. Moses says to them, you guys are going to go into this land, and there's going to be a lot of good things there. And notice, and this is where it's so cool, when you have a paper Bible, and you can underline these things. And if you do have a paper Bible, underline them. The number of times he says that they did not do. He says, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with good, good things that you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Uh, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Do you think he's trying to get their attention about something? He's trying to remind them that when life is good, it's easy to forget who actually did it. It's easy when you're comfortable, when things are good, to relax and go, oh man, life is so good. And and this is so important that Moses returns to it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he makes it a lot more explicit there. And from verses 10 down, he says the same thing pretty much. In verse 14 of chapter 8, he says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. And verse 17, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. There it is again. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So this year, when you get that promotion, when you get a new house, when you enter a new relationship, when you buy a brand new car, when you get to go on that amazing holiday, do not forget the Lord. When good things come, when breakthroughs come, when you, when you get the things you've been praying for and longing for and God gives you the desires of your heart and you think, oh my goodness, what an amazing year I've had. Everybody else has had a terrible, awful COVID year, but I've had an amazing year and I don't, I'm embarrassed to even talk about it because it's been so good. Do not forget the Lord. Don't, don't tell yourself, my hand and my strength and my power did this. Do not forget the Lord. Second warning. He says, do not forsake the Lord. Well, he doesn't say that, but that's what he means. He says, follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. He says, don't don't turn to the left or the right. He says, do not follow other gods, verse 14. The gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God. Do not forsake the Lord. And this danger comes by comparison. Comparison. Moses is pretty much saying, when you go into the land, there's going to be people there who worship other gods. Don't envy them. Don't look across the fence and go, the grass is greener over there. Don't, don't, don't think that worshipping those gods will actually lead to a better life for you. Don't make that mistake of forsaking the one true and living God to pursue an idol that offers seemingly so much for you but only brings death and destruction. Like the proverb says that this, there is a way that seems right to a man but only leads to death. And Jesus said, you know, the broad way, people think that that's the way that leads to life and success and happiness, but it only leads to death. It's the narrow part that leads to life. And we are all prone to this. You know, like I was saying to a few people as I prepared this, I'm preaching to myself. I've experienced all of these things in the last few years. Where you compare, even as a pastor and you compare churches, you compare what success might look like and what other people are doing and go, God, I want a bit of what they're having. You know that ad? I want what they've got. And God, they're not, they're not paying for it like I'm paying for it. They're not kind of doing it as tough as I'm. They've got it good. And it's easy to go to work. It's easy to look around your neighborhood and go, am I really blessed? I, God, I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of the nice things that they've got. I wouldn't mind a little bit more comfort, a little bit more luxury, a little bit more security, a little bit more health. I wouldn't mind, you know, some of the great adventures that other people seem to be going on on Facebook and Instagram. It's so easy, it's so subtle for our hearts to drift and to pursue other gods. You see, because inadvertently, as we pursue power and money and success and reputation and all of those things, some of those good things, we may find that we're actually pursuing the gods of our culture behind those good things. The idols, autonomy, power, control, success, approval. And before we know it, our hearts are drawn aside and we forsake God and Jesus asks very profound questions. Well, what does it profit you to gain the whole world and to forfeit your soul? In other words, if you worship another God, you might get all the things you want, but maybe the things you want aren't the things that you really want. Because what all of us really want is to know that we are loved by our Father, And to have an eternal future that's secure. And are we willing to trade all that for a little bit of lentil stew like somebody else did? For a momentary satisfaction? For something that just we need right now and I'm willing to trade my birthright and give up God's blessing and future for me because of a bit of stew? I've been there. I've done that. Because our hearts, the Bible says, is wicked and evil and draw us aside to worship other gods. Do not forsake the Lord. Don't compare. And Psalm 73 is a great reminder. with The psalmist, he's looking around. That's what he's doing. He's looking around. He's comparing and seeing the grass looks greener over there. And he goes, God, I don't get it. I'm faithful to you. I honor you. I obey you. I serve you. And yet the wicked are prospering. God, how does that make any sense? But then he has a moment of revelation, comes back, the word of God comes back to the house of the Lord, and everything is aligned. And he goes, Okay, God, I get it. I get it. Guard your heart from forsaking the Lord, pursuing other gods. The last warning is to not, I want to keep the F, force the Lord. Verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 16 says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa, And this is an incident in Israel's history recorded in Exodus 17, where the children of Israel, uh, early in their journey in the wilderness, God had just rescued them from Egypt and slavery. They've just come through the Red Sea. Uh, Amazing acts of God's supernatural intervention and deliverance and rescue. And they come, and this is in in one sense, their first crisis. So this threat happens in times of crises. Crisis. This is kind of the first major, really, crisis and the wheels just fall off in their faith. And they're standing there, and there's no water, and they start grumbling, they start complaining, and they start demanding that God do something. That's what it really means to put the Lord to the test, to force God to do what I want you to do, to prove you love me. I've been there. And interestingly, it's one of the ways that Satan tried to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He says, he takes him up to the highest pinnacle of the temple and says, Jesus, now come on, jump. Because you know, the scripture says that God will send his angels to protect you. And Jesus responds and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's saying, I'm not going to force my father to prove his love for me, because I know my father's love for me. But when you're in crisis mode, when your world is falling apart, when everything is going belly up and you feel like you're in the eye of a storm, it's easy to get to that place of going, God, you owe me. God, you owe me. Come on, God. I've been so faithful. I've been so good. I've loved you. I've done everything right. And and this is what you give me? Come on. You need to prove yourself. You need to show me that you love me. You need to do this. You need to do whatever it is that this is to prove to me that you still love me, to prove to me that you're still with me. Because that's really what the children of Israel were going on about in Exodus 17. When you read that passage, they doubted that the Lord was still with them. It's like, look at the pillar of fire, for goodness sake. See, but they just couldn't see it. Because all they could see was the crisis of the moment. See, what's common in all of these things is that they they all arise when you lose sight of God. That's the common problem. It's the common problem. You forget the Lord because you lose sight of him in the goodness and you get caught up in the gifts and you lose sight of the giver. When you're forced to forsake the Lord, it's because you've lost sight on how good our God is, how he is the only true and living God that has demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus. No other God is like our God. And in Isaiah, Isaiah writes so much about comparing God to the idols of this world, going, they're deaf, they're dumb, they're mute. Can they help you? Can they hear your prayer? Why would you even consider? And yet we pursue other gods because we lose sight of the one true and living God. And then in this one, we lose sight of God because of our crisis. Because it screams out to us to get our attention. And that's why I love, I think it's Psalm 121, that says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. So that you can set them back where they rightfully ought to be. On the God who's got you. On your Father who hasn't abandoned you. On the Father who hasn't stopped loving you. Don't try to force him, to test him, to prove something to you that you ought to already know. And if you're in doubt, look to the cross. Whereas Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his love when we were sinners. And as Romans 8 says, now that he's given us his son, how much more will he not give us all things? And if God is for us, then what circumstance, what crisis can be against us? Not life, not death, not angels, not principal, not not the All of the things can't because Jesus, because Jesus. But so often we we lose sight of that and our our hearts grow cold and our hearts get hard and and we're at risk of these things. The sad reality is that in spite of Moses' warnings, Israel succumbed to all of these three things. All of these three things. Time and time again in their history. And the rest of Deuteronomy recounts over and over again their their failures. And Deuteronomy 30, when Moses gets to the end and he's trying to kind of bring this final challenge. And he's talking about the blessings and the curses of God and all of that. He's kind of anticipating already that they are going to fail. And that God in his faithfulness and mercy would bring them back from wherever he exiles them. Wherever they've been banished. And then he has this promise in there that says, but God's going to circumcise your heart so that you will love him like he wants to be loved, wholeheartedly, with all of you. He'll do it, he'll do it. And the new covenant is the promise that the spirit of God would come and would enable us to love God this way because we can't do it on our own. What good news. So as I finish, I wanna draw your attention to one other thing that Moses does he? Last week, we looked at two reasons why we are to love God this way, because of who God is and because of what he's done. And here's an interesting one that I don't know if you picked up, but Moses says that we are to live this way. Verse 18, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Why? So that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land. Now, this is an interesting theme. If you do a bit of a Bible study in Deuteronomy, Moses mentions this over and over and over again, this idea of living in the blessing of God because of your relationship with God. Notice just in the first part of Deuteronomy, chapter six, that we read the number of times it appears. Verse six, So, and notice the connecting words. Right? Observe in the land the commands that I've directed you, Verse 2, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. The, uh, as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. Over to uh, verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. And it comes up over and over and over and over again. See, I want to say to you, brother, sister, Christian, God wants you to have the best life ever. That's why he's our loving father who knows how to give good gifts to us, Jesus said. The problem is how we think that that best life is going to look like. How we understand what a blessed life looks like. And let me be honest, in many, many Christian circles, the way that's portrayed Is like God is a genie. And there's a lot of kind of prosperity teaching out there that just says, you know, you can expect God to always keep you in good health and you're never going to get sick and God's going to give you the best jobs and life is going to be the best. That's the blessed life. Partly true. Jesus said, you know, when Peter said, you know, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you, houses, fields, our families. And Jesus said, yeah, Great. You will be blessed, and this is the important part. He says, you will receive in this life, houses, fields, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. Now again, how we understand that doesn't mean every Christian is going to be an owner of multiple properties. He means in community, we will be blessed. And then there's the last bit in Mark 10, if you read it, with persecution. That's kind of a real killjoy right there at the end. If Jesus just hadn't tagged that on, it would have been awesome, right? Because not only are we going to be blessed in this life, but forever, that's a pretty sweet deal. But just he just had to go and kind of throw that one in and it's like, oh, come on, with persecution. So let me unpack that. Part of the blessed life is persecution. Who would have thought? I mean, Jesus did. Because in Matthew 5, if you want to know what the blessed life looks like for a Christian, read the Beatitudes. You know what, Jesus? The people who are blessed are those who mourn. The people who are blessed are those who are aware of their spiritual poverty and their need for God. The people who are blessed are the people who are peacemakers. The people who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The people who are blessed are those who are pure in heart. They're the ones. It's not how we often think about the blessed life. So here's the key question that I want to leave with you. Are we convinced that the the life that Jesus has for us is the best life for us? Are we? And look, being perfectly honest, sometimes I, I, I question. I doubt. I wrestle with that. Because I go, come on, Jesus, you know, if I was to plan my life, I think I could do a better job. I would avoid this pain. I would take away that circumstance. I wouldn't have brought that into my life. Really? Like really, that did, I don't think it made any, it just made me angry. It just made me sad. Just why, why would you want that for me? Right? But that's what it comes down to. And as I think Anuj preached in, in this series, that idea of contentment, of receiving everything, good and bad, from our Father's hand as a gift. That, that takes uh, having this conviction. Lord, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand why you brought this pain into my life. I don't understand why you've given me this cross to carry. I don't understand why I have to wrestle with this and struggle with this. I don't understand whatever the blanks might be. But I just trust that this life with all its good things and hard things, is the best life you have for me. And the reason I know that is because you gave your life for me. For me. And if my life as broken and as messed up and as confused and as crazy as it is, is worth you giving that much for me, then maybe I just need to change my perspective on my own life. So I want to leave you with that question. And I want to challenge you, whatever these next 10 months might hold for you, whether it's incredible blessing, prosperity. Because see, the thing about our Father is He does give us many of the things we desire in our heart. Many. Many. But our problem is in the one thing that He doesn't give us. So I want to challenge you with the goodness of God, the prosperity of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God, all of that that might come into your life this year, do not forget the Lord. And as you look around, your workmates, your family, your friends who don't know Jesus, and they're just powering on and living this dream life, and you think, man, I'd love a bit of that, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because it doesn't profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul. And when you hit that crisis, that health diagnosis, that job termination, that whatever it might be, and you want to say, God, I deserve better than this. Prove to me that you still love me, that you're still with me, that you can fix your eyes on Jesus and go, God, I don't need you to prove anything. You've already proved it to me. And I'm going to trust that this life that you have for me is the best life for me and that I'm blessed I'm blessed. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? And let the Holy Spirit just speak into your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Father, I invite you to come by your Holy Spirit. I know you're here, but we say that, Lord, just so that we can be aware of your presence. I pray that, Lord, you'll speak. Father, I pray that you would do heart surgery, that you would circumcise our hearts again, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would renew us, transform us, bring our hearts wholly and totally back to you. Lord, if we've strayed, if we've drifted, if we've forgotten you, if we've forsaken you, if we've tried to force your hand, we repent, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness. And we pray, bring us back to Jesus to surrender, to receive your love. Holy Spirit, come